The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Welcome to Your Healing Garden. I'm Dina Salisi. Join me on location with special guests as we cultivate well-being with the energies of nature. Today we are in the garden of my very special guest, Cynthia James. Cynthia is a visual artist who works in oil paint to portray nature in a magical realist style. She spent 20 years living in Tulum, Mexico, when it was still a remote jungle village. And it was during this time that she became aware of the environmental damage caused by development in this area. This led to a focus on ecology and nature in her art. Upon returning to live in Santa Barbara, she devoted her time working on issues such as the disappearing bees. Welcome, Cynthia, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So let's begin with Tulum, since that just sounds like such a fantastic experience. It Um, was. Yeah. When was this, and what were you doing there? Uh, At first, we went to visit some friends who had started a bed and breakfast right on the beach, So we wanted to stay with them and kind of feel it out because we were looking at property, possibly buying some vacation property down there. Well, at that time, it was all coconut plantations and they didn't have much water. There was no power. Uh, And our friend's hotel was uh, solar and off the grid completely. And while we were there, our friend said, oh, you should go talk to the Indian man down the road because he's getting a divorce and he, he might be interested in selling his property. So we went down the road and found this beautiful little cove. Mm. And it was the perfect beach, that white, white sand, perfect turquoise water. And he was lying in a hammock. And we approached him and asked him if he would be interested in selling his property. And he said, no, you know, he was just (laughs) like, leave me alone. So we gave up. And we didn't find any other property in the area that we thought would be um, appropriate. So we gave up. And it was seven years later that we went back down and found out that that piece of property was, in fact, on the market. And the man had was ready to sell at that point. And it was the same little beachfront property. And um, so we, within a couple of weeks, we purchased that property. So it took seven years yeah. between the, the vision that we had right. to when it really happened. But it did happen, and it happened quickly. Yeah, yeah. So be careful what you wish for, because, you know, it may happen. Maybe not in the timing right. that you expect, but it did happen. So from there, we built uh, the uh, buildings, the structures. We tried to build them with Mayan style from, mm, yeah. you know, just the uh, palapa roof and a little bit of sort of an adobe-type adobe walls. And we ran the place for 20 years, but we came back and forth. We weren't mm-hmm. there for the full 20 years. Right. And I remember one day going to the beach, swimming in the water, and we were surrounded by yellow butterflies. And I just thought, wow, this is paradise. And I thought, oh, this will be, you know, we'll be able to do this again. It'll happen again. That was the last time we ever saw the butterflies. Huh. I think it was because of all the development that was yeah. encroaching. And we didn't see as much wildlife as, as we did the first time we were there. So little by little, cars mm-hmm. coming, 
electricity now. They have electricity. Our beach was a turtle nesting ground. So the turtles would come up and lay their eggs. And you'd go out during a full moon. They would come up onto the beach. But if they saw lights, they would go back in the water. So as soon as they put in, our neighbors had electrical Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, so they had, you know, music. And so the turtles still came, but mm-hmm. they were really impacted by all the lights and the noise. So now our beach is still where these poor turtles can go. And we'll see if it's going to change because we we're putting in electricity, mm-hmm. whereas before we just had solar. Um, so little by little, the whole place just changed. And that's when we decided, OK, it's time to move on. And, you know, sort of give up that vision. But we had a good run. We had right. 20, 25 years now. Um, and it was a fantastic experience. But I also had a chance to paint while I was there. Yes. And you could you could have the silence. You could have the isolation that's required for doing artwork. Mm-hmm. And I had some amazing experiences before people came, before it was really built up. I would think of something. I would think like, Oh, I would love to have a sculpture of a Mayan head to put in my garden. Well, a few days later, a guy drives up (laughs) with a Volkswagen bug, and he has this sculpture of a Mayan head. And he said, oh, I was thinking of selling this, and I thought of you. Do you want to buy it? I said, yes. And I put it in the garden. And then another day, I was thinking, I really want to paint this fruit. It's called a guayabana. But I don't know where it grows. I know it's tropical. Um, and so I went to a restaurant. And that week, the owner of the restaurant comes up to the table and hands me the fruit. <laughs> he said, I thought you'd be interested in this. And it was, wow, yeah, that's exactly what I needed. And I used that to paint a, a few paintings, you know. So I was doing yeah. mostly uh, primates and fruit. And then when I moved here is when I started finding out about the disappearing bees. Right. So so there was a lot of serendipity for you there. Yes. So guayaba and I just want to touch on that briefly. Is that a guava banana? <laughs> no, it's it's a huge green fruit that looks a little bit like a cherimoya. Okay. You know what that's like? Yeah. But it's kind of an oval shape. Uh-huh. And you open it up and it's got kind of a white, Flash, uh, sort of right. like a custard type of interior with seeds. It's really delicious. It's, it's it's a fantastic. We had so many wonderful tropical fruits that we don't see here. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So what I'm hearing you say is that, you know, you were drawn there because of obviously the, the beauty and the, the natural environment and these yellow butterflies, you know, were just calling to you. But then you noticed the demise. Like, you know, not everybody notices. And well, so you yeah. were connected. So... I mean, was that your first connection, like your first deep, true connection with nature that you realized? Or was there a time before that? Or, yeah, how did that transpire yeah. for you? You know, it's funny. I, when I was little, I had two older sisters, and I played by myself a lot. And my favorite game to play with my friends, when kids used to play outside, we would play safari. And I was always fascinated with Tarzan and jungle scenes. Mm-hmm. We, we would set up a jungle camp in the garden. And we would play out this little drama of having a safari. And and so it's so funny that I sort of ended up actually living yeah, that, yeah. you know, that dream, that fantasy right. of a child. And it was also encouraged when I was a little bit older, probably about nine, 
I was reading Brenda Starr. It was the mm-hmm. Sunday comics. Right. And Brenda was in search of the black orchid oh, because God. her boyfriend, Basil St. John, had a very <laughs> rare disease. And the rare disease could only be cured by the black orchid. Wow. So they had a lot of illustrations of her with, going to the lagoon. It was only the black orchid would only grow by this one lagoon. And so I remember that vividly, thinking, oh, you know, that was another sort of so You were harbinger. like Brenda Starr. Yeah, you yeah. were the Brenda Starr. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was living in my own fantasy. But it actually yes. became a reality Yeah, yeah for a while, right, you know. Right. Well, it sounds like you're bringing in the magical realism. Like yeah. you're saying, you're imagining it. You know, you're really working with the power of visualization, which yes. I completely believe in. Yeah. And you're living it, you know. And I feel like, too, you know, part of what this show is doing is kind of showing how we really are in tune with nature. So I think when you're mm-hmm. open to it, right, that you do attract it because mm-hmm. we are just, you know, in this big bubble of nature and we are part of it. So um, one of the things I want to talk about is, of course, I want to talk about the disappearing bees. Um, I love your artwork. It is very surreal, magically realistic. And it's funny because why I was attracted to your artwork was because of the really luscious images of flowers that you paint. I mean, your mm-hmm. colors, your textures, and they look, you know, tropical and surreal, and they're really beautiful. And, um, you know, at first glance, it looks like just sheer beauty. But then, and I know this from you because you explained this to me because I own a couple of your works, that when you're drawn more deeply into the image, you begin to notice the bees and then you incorporate other little insects. And um, there is a juxtaposition that I'd like you to talk about. Well, yeah, in the one painting that you have, the two flowers are sort of dancing and interacting yeah. together. Almost, they, I've given them a little bit of an anthropomorphic mm-hmm. uh, feeling where they almost look kind of human in a way because they're sort of dancing but then the bees are swirling in and there's a, a bee eater bee yeah. that's attacking them but it i painted it in a way that it doesn't look violent it just right but that's kind of an undercurrent that you see that the elements of nature are having to fight against each other right survive and, and there is an element of violence in nature i mean yes. in life in general, life on Earth. Definitely. And so what do you, yeah, talk a little bit about the violence of nature and then, like, yeah, what that means to you and how you use that that energy of the violence, you know, mm-hmm. to kind of, you know, with your work. Well, okay. I think, you know, definitely on Earth we have the light and the dark side. So it is kind of sad to watch some of those nature films where you see the animals killing each mm-hmm. other. Right. But, you know, that's... The balance of nature. Um, so there is that violent aspect of it. I think what I was trying to do is give the flowers kind of a different meaning from what you would usually mm-hmm. see when you see flowers can be kind of tritely portrayed, right. and it's sort of a hackneyed subject that's been overdone. So I wanted to try to give the flowers kind of a human uh, element, you know, have them interacting and sort of talking to each other in a way and um so maybe that was part of it bringing in the human element to bringing in some maybe some of the darkness that is going on in the world although i have to say that with the world the way it is right now you mentioned the bubble and i go into nature Mm -hmm. and it's a bubble it's like a way to escape yes what's happening you know just kind of tune in and I always tried, like with the paintings, to try to get people to 
tune into the center of the flower Mm -hmm. or really focus into the flower instead of the whole outside world, but get people to notice the details. No, it's truly yeah. a spiritual experience. And be, I mean, yeah. obviously being in nature is, but also when we attune to the artwork of nature and, you know, it really can be a spiritual experience. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny to me because when I think of bees and I think of the energy of bee, right? Yeah. Um, it's the energy of bee is about regeneration, right? I mean, they're, they're one of our great pollinators, of course. Yeah. And they hold this essence of regeneration. So when I think about the bees disappearing, what yeah? What what comes up for you around that regeneration and and the disappearing? It's <laughs> very sad because it's uh, the bees are uh, the pollinators, yeah, and responsible for a third of the world's food. Right. And actually, in China, they've had to they have so much pollution there that they're they're using people now to pollinate the trees. They have little people that climb up into the trees with Q-tips, really? and they're they're manually pollinating these because the bees no longer exist no there. Idea. So they capture the pollen off the flowers and then yeah, they, and they, go they distribute them. And then Monsanto, who yeah. developed the uh, neonicotinoid, I forget the name of it, but they were using that on the crops and it was getting into the plants and the bees were ingesting that. And that's yeah. what was responsible for a large amount yes. of I've the die-off. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so... Now, Monsanto has worked with some universities to develop an artificial bee, which is like a little miniature drone. So they've created the problem, and now they're going to make money off of creating these little drones that can be controlled by computers to pollinate. So it's like science fiction. It is like science fiction, and it is terrifying (laughs) and I also you know being the ever hopeful I'm a flower child and you know I always tell people wherever whenever you see flowers that means there's hope because there are still flowers and they're miraculous like even the dandelion right which is like the dreaded weed dandelion I mean if we if if all we had was dandelion it you know it would account for so much um health care really I mean it works on our liver and you can eat it as a food source and you know it's just an amazing plant and so you know as long as there are flowers there is hope. So mm-hmm. what do you find to be the hope around the bees right now? Uh, people are becoming aware of it. Mm-hmm. And um, well, I think hopefully people will uh, stop the spraying, the mm-hmm. crops. Um, it's the GMOs and all those things have been banned in Europe right. already. Yeah. So maybe they'll, they'll come to their senses mm-hmm. here and ban the use of these uh, pesticides here. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're not really there yet. Um, it's it's going to be the lobbyists, you know. It's, right. it's just they're paying a lot of money. Monsanto just merged with Bayer, so now they're a bigger conglomerate. Uh-huh. Right. So they've got more money, more and the fact that they're coming yeah. up with these drones. Yeah, you know, I don't like that. But I do agree with you about the awareness because even like the most well-intentioned gardener, like they don't know, you know, it's, there's yeah. not enough awareness around it. So it's like people will spray pesticides without even thinking about it, you know, not yeah. meaning to kill the bees or, right. you know, anything. Right. And so I do think that spreading awareness is of the utmost importance because we yes. do need to kind of band together and, you know, grow plants that we're not using pesticides on and, and have pollinator gardens, right? Pollinator gardens. And also the milkweed mm-hmm. was being destroyed by the spraying of the freeways. Yep. So that's that was 
the monarchs were surviving uh, during their migration uh-huh. off of the milkweed, and the right. milkweed died off. And so that's why we don't have as many monarchs. Right. Um, we used to have a big area here in Goleta mm-hmm. that right. was, maybe you know about that, you know, forest that was yeah, just the covered. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they're coming back. I think people are becoming aware of it, starting to plant these pollinator plants in their gardens. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's a big project, a project up in Northern California, the the milkweed project or something like that. And they give free milkweed plants to whoever will plant them. So, Mm -hmm. you know, my vision is eventually to on, on my own property, you know, in the future to have like, you know, we were talking about like having acres, like why not plant acres? Like we see acres of wine or even, I mean, I know I love olives, olives are important, but why couldn't we have like acres of milkweed. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like where sure. we can. I mean, just because you don't have to um, water it right. and it just grows. And then we do need to kind of call it back in in mm-hmm. this way. So it is up to all of us to be responsible, yeah. right? I think, you know, there, there's more awareness now. People are starting to have uh, beekeeping mm-hmm. as a hobby. Yes. Yeah. Or, you know, it's it, educating the kids, yes. you know, the next generation. And that's what I hope my, my next show that I'm going to be doing with um, based on flowers. It's called Flowers of Persuasion, mm, and we're going to have a lot of artists that that work with flowers as a subject. It'll be Good. sculptures and paintings, yeah. and it'll be hopefully at uh, a botanical garden, something like uh, Descanso Gardens, mm-hmm. which has an art museum there, and and then we'll have presentations for the school kids to come through, right. tell them about the bees and. Right. You know, maybe encourage that uh, whole beekeeping hobby. Absolutely. And this is something that I love is that, you know, nature, it just holds us, it heals us. But like you talk about the kids, like children are just like right there with it. Like it's, it doesn't matter how much technology we develop. And even if they, you know, watch their screens, they still are so enamored by and, and just fascinated with nature because it, like what you said at the beginning, it feels so good. And we all feel that resonance. Like it, it's undeniable. You know right. what I mean? We just feel it. And so that's the truth. Um, and the beekeeping thing I love, I met a young woman a few weeks ago. She must have been 25 years old and she was admiring my dog. And I asked her, do you have any pets? And she said, I don't, but I keep bees. And she was about 25 years old. Fantastic. And I was like, oh, you keep bees? Well, how did you get involved with that? Why, why do you do that? And she goes, I just like them. <laughs> and I was like, yes, we're winning. Oh, like, just great. really that it speaks to our souls. Yes. Yeah. And there's ways that, you know, I've seen these young people and they go right into the beehive and they're covered. Mm-hmm. They've got bees all over them. and they, right. they don't get bitten. They're just very calm. And, you know, they sense your vibe or whatever. And they, you know, if you're fearful or you're moved too quickly, they will, you know, bite. But usually they're calm. And there's this one girl that goes and saves beehives from uh, the exterminators because a lot of people have beehives in their homes and they want to call the exterminator to come oh, and get rid of it. Get, but she right. offers a but service. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's, so that's awesome. Neat. Yeah. I know. I love that. And there are people, I know a, a guy in the Napa Valley who does that as well. You call him up. He'll come get the hive. We had yes. a hive several years ago. We had a beehive um, that planted itself in the tree um, outside our house. And there were, you know, you could hear it. Like, as soon as you open the door, you hear it. And so, like, oh, what's that? And there yeah. were whatever, hundreds, I don't know, maybe thousands of bees. Mm. And, of course, we didn't want to eradicate it. And so we called mm-hmm. this guy who we knew. He was a beekeeper. And he was like, I'll be right there. And the funny thing 
thing is, it took him about half hour to get there. By the time he got there, they had moved five. Uh, yeah. That was amazing, I thought. They were just sort of congregating, and they were looking for another place. I guess. Uh, do you know about that? Yeah, they, they do that. They, they yeah. will form this, uh, like, a big bunch of bees. Uh-huh. Right. And then um, then they'll disperse. Yeah. And I think they're, I'm not sure why they do it, but they always congregate around the queen. So if the queen is there, they're around there. But um, I'm not sure exactly why they do that. And there's a name for it. Okay, interesting. And I would love to be a beekeeper, but I spend so much time painting. Right. Painting the bees, painting the flowers, that I feel like I wouldn't be able to dedicate as much time as I need to to actually the poor little bees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit. Well, okay, so two things. So one thing is that um, I love on your, I think it's on your website, you say your style is in the 18th century style of grotesquery. Am I saying that right? Yes. Grotesquery? Yeah. And then, of course, it's a magical, you paint a magical realism style. So mm-hmm. describe what grotesquery means to you and what of your work mm-hmm. is magical and what of it is realism. Oh, okay. Um, the the grotesquery was a style where they would paint on the walls of the castles, mm-hmm. they would do these fantasy scenes where they would have, you know, some monkeys and they would be sitting on top of an elephant yeah. and the and the monkeys would be holding fruit and it would be like a whole fantasy and they called it grotesquerie. That was the name of that style. Okay. And, and I mean, I've seen that before, but is that because it wasn't, it was a fantasy scene. It's not it a, a fan- real yeah, scene. Yeah, it wasn't. Okay. I mean, the imagery was realistic. Yeah. But it was basically magical realism okay. or fan, fantasy art because it had these animals interacting in ways that they wouldn't normally. Yeah. And so how did you how did you know about that? What were you influenced by in that? Oh, just genre? looking at art books and then actually seeing in Europe, seeing inside some of the palaces. Oh, yeah. They always very often would have it in like a dining area. They would have the wall, you know, covered with all these. Yeah, like that old wallpaper. I yeah. Yeah. What energy of nature do you currently most relate to and why? Currently, I'm really relating to um, underwater uh, aquatic energy because, first of all, I can go down under the water and it's quiet and I feel like I'm in another world. Mm -hmm. And because the world right now is quite chaotic, it's just an escape. It's like you're going, it's silent. You go under there, it's just this quiet floating world Mm -hmm. it's very relaxing even though i don't do scuba diving but i've always grown up around the beach and did Mm -hmm. a lot of skin diving and snorkeling so you know i'm I'm familiar with that so now i'm i'm doing the uh, aquatic scenes kelp forests and uh jellyfish Mm -hmm. i mean they're amazing the types of jellyfish and they're so surreal you can't make up some of this stuff right. yeah. when you see it. It's just like, yeah. how could how could nature create something so fabulously unreal? But it's real. Bizarre. Yeah. I mean, really, you know, yeah. a jellyfish, that's a good example. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they have the ones that glow in the dark, right? right? And then they're just so odd. Yes. And what's going like on Like some jellyfish. insects, yeah. too, that, you know, have wild colors. Yeah. And, you know. I even flowers. 
flowers. Like I like yes. to point out that these are all colors created by nature. Like they're not. Yeah, they're not. I've had a hard up. time kind of trying to come up with flowers that don't exist. Mm-hmm. I try to think of something that would be really fantastical, but it, it's already been invented uh-huh. by nature. And now there's a website. Uh, well, I, I'm on Instagram and it's, it's called, um, get the name of it but it's all ai produced right. right and they take different flowers and combine them oh. and it's pretty amazing so is where do you get yeah where do you get your ideas for your images from i just look at books sometimes i, I get ideas from uh being traveling seeing things mm-hmm. and then do you sketch it before you yeah paint i'll, I'll it? do like, a little sketch around with it sometimes i just i've been painting on copper mm-hmm. so i can take the oil paint and paint directly on the copper. I don't have to put gesso. So I can do a little sketch right on the copper and then paint it out with color. And I really like the copper because it's a smooth surface and you can get very detailed with it. And also there are paintings that were painted on copper that have existed since the 13th century and they're perfectly pristine. They're in great condition. So you would think, Oh, p- copper, wouldn't it peel? Or no, it's you sand it and the paint soaks in and it's it's like there forever. So it just holds the paint. Yeah. That's that's incredible. And copper in itself is an amazing element of nature. I mean, yeah, it is. Incredible. Do you have a spiritual practice around nature? Like something that you do daily or you know, weekly that you mm. do on purpose to to participate in your connection? Uh, you know, I think when I'm painting, I definitely go into kind of a meditative state. Mm. It's almost like an alpha state or whatever. Yeah. Where I lose track of time. And and I'll be there, be sitting there, sometimes for like five hours. And I thought, what? It seems like it was just an hour. You know? Right. And it's almost like a form of meditation. Yeah. yeah. So, in a way, the painting is the spiritual practice. Right. Where I just kind of get myself, I'll put music on or whatever, but I'll just get so focused on that one thing, you know, and then a flower is so much like a mandala, Mm -hmm. you know, it's quite meditative, you know? Yeah. Do you have special spots in Santa Barbara that you like to go to for inspiration? Yes. Lotus land, which is very close by. I live (laughs) probably within five miles. That has been a great inspiration, Mm -hmm. you know, just seeing all the amazing exotic plants and the way it's all put together. Yeah. I mean, she really was an artist. Yeah, that's, that's uh, Madame Gonawalska. She was. She was an artist, and she was over the top, and I, too, love Lotus Land. Yeah. And so many of the plants there are are so unusual that they yeah. are surreal. You're just like, is this yeah. even a real plant? Like, right. Where did it come from? But, yeah, I love her groupings. We were talking about that earlier, right. how she just kind of, like, hyper-grouped things. Like, yeah, and where the I cacti th- mixed in with yeah, the, yeah. the jewels. Like, she'll have, you know... Uh, semi-precious stones, amethyst stones mixed in with cacti. Mm -hmm. And so what about for your water inspiration these days? Um, I'm looking at a lot of photos. You know, there's so much online now, you know, people on Instagram that go diving. And I have a friend that just went diving with her daughter, and they took a lot of photos. So right now I'm not doing it myself, but I'm using that as source material. Yeah. And then I kind of imagine or memory, mm-hmm. you know, I use what I remember from when I was younger. And, right. 
Right. So that's all just very alive in you. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, something from my childhood. Mm -hmm. Do you have a current, and I say current because mine changes all the time, a current favorite flower, a real flower? (laughs) Oh, right now I just love gardenias. Yeah. You know, they're just so special and there's, the scent is so amazing. Mm-hmm. And their blooms are pretty short-lived, which I think is special, yes. too. Yeah. Yeah, but their blooms are, they don't look that delicate. They mm-hmm. look kind of waxy or right. whatever. Um, and, you know, see, I, I also like um, pincushion plants. Oh, uh, yeah. Are they protea? Yes, the protea, yeah. Yeah, protea from, you know, Australia and mm-hmm. South Africa. Um, and the bees love those. Those are amazing pollinators. Really? Okay. Yeah. I've got some yeah. here. I've been putting in a lot of South African plants because mm-hmm. they do really well in this climate. Right. Do you have a lot so, of hummingbirds here? Yes, we do. And they love these echium that aren't in bloom right now, but they, they come around. And then also there's a giant moth. Oh. It looks like a hummingbird. And when I first saw it, I thought, because it hovers like a hummingbird, oh. but it's actually an insect. And what do you know about this moth? I wish I could remember the name of it. I need to do more research, but it's it comes out in the um, evening. Okay, so like bat time. Yeah, exactly. I feel like I've seen this moth before because it's like with the bats kind of. Yeah, kind of. And, yeah. Um, hummingbirds don't seem to come out at that time. Right. You know, they seem yeah, more they like during the sun. The sun. Yeah. yeah. So that's fun to see around the echium that grow, grow like weeds here. Um, and, you know, just whatever grows so easily here, and that's aloes. There's an aloe right. uh, nursery nearby. It's quite close to Lotus Land, actually, where he has all different species that he's collected from all over the world, from Africa. Yeah. So aloes are great and very healing, too. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you know right. about that. Yeah. The aloe bloom, does that have a healing tincture? So that's a good question. So aloe um, is actually a flower essence remedy that was developed in Northern California by the Flower Essence Society. And it's oh. so it is used for and it's funny because we always look at the kind of the habit and the nature of the plant to kind of determine what the metaphysical quality is. So uh-huh. aloe is used for burning the candle at both ends. And it's funny because it huh. looks like a candle, right? Yeah. So when you're depleted and um, it, it kind of like re-energizes you. And so, yeah, because there's a quality to aloe that's very water-like, right? With the yes, gel inside, the gel. it's cooling and soothing. Mm-hmm. So I think it kind of helps you when you're kind of in that fiery, you know, when your mind is like on fire, like even when you're saying doing the art and you kind of get lost in time, sometimes that can be you know, exhausting at the end of it, mm-hmm. like even though you're not physically doing work. That's I right. find like even with writing and doing artistic work, yes, I get tired at the end of yeah, the day. Yeah, you do. So aloe is kind of good for that, for yeah. like the replenishment. Oh, good. Okay, right? that's good to know. Yeah. Um, I, you also mentioned what is my favorite favorite flower. I love echinacea flowers. Me too. Yeah. I think they almost look human because they've got that big bud. It looks like yes. a head on top and then the beautiful colored petals hanging down yeah. and um, just 
there's something about them. They're just really intriguing. They are really special. And when you look at the center, like I'm sure you've looked at the center in a close-up picture through a lens, um, Mm -hmm. it's got this incredible structure. And have Mm -hmm. you heard of the Fibonacci? Yeah, the Fibonacci Yeah, so they're saying that the inside of the echinacea is the Fibonacci. It's like perfect. I mean, that's where they got it from nature, right? The the measurement. I didn't know it was inside that in the head of it. Yes. And it's also very healing, isn't yes. it? Yes. Well, echinacea, we know, yeah, is we antiviral know and all sure. that. Yeah. And so the um, flower essence as well is for like, yeah, healing when you're having like a healing crisis and you mm-hmm. kind of need to re-energize your body. So, yeah. Great. Yeah. I know. And I love all the different colors it comes in, too. Like we're used to yes. the purple one, but the it's purple. like white, orange, pink, like all different. Yeah. yeah. Does it grow here? It grows up north. I grow it up okay. north. Okay. I don't know how well it does here. I guess I don't yeah. see it around yeah, too much. Had, so it might I saw it when I was up in New Hampshire. Cold. I think it needs cold winters. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I love those. I know. Well, thank the goddess that um, different flowers grow everywhere because we yes. can have them all. We just can't have them all at once. All at right? once. Yeah, <laughs> and so what is something you want to share about your current work in the world? Uh, the current work is just about the ocean which we don't really see what's going on that much. Mm. We don't think about it, but right. it's really bothersome that the plastics are going into the water right. yeah. and these tiny molecules, even from clothing, right. being washed. Right. Right. And it's going into the water, and now it's permeated the fish. Yeah. And also there's the uh, the garbage, what do they call it, the gyre, the plastic garbage patch mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. in the Pacific Ocean, which is like a huge island full of plastic. So there's a lot of um, climate change is affecting it. You know, the temperature of the ocean in Mexico Eight. right now is 90 degrees. Wow. That's like not even fun to swim in. Right. It's, it's like a bath. So what does that do to the fish? Um, and, you know, just the plastics, you know, the, the little uh, rings that we use on cans or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, those yeah, end up around the neck of the turtle or, you know, caught All that in the stuff. And it didn't even seem like it took that long. I mean, it was like, what? You didn't even have plastics yeah. for like 50, 60 years. It's That's not right. even that long. I know. It's just, I wish we could come up with some other invention to replace plastic. That would be yeah, such I a mean, great... I know we're trying, right? Yeah. We're trying. And again, that goes back to the awareness discussion. Like, it's up to all of us, right? right. Like, it took how long to ban straws? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like, well, do I need a straw? And like <laughs> Can I use yoga leggings yeah. are so comfortable oh, right. and stretchy yeah. pants are yeah. so comfortable. I know it's hard to give that up and go back to the regular old Cotton Levi's, yeah. yeah. you know? So, yeah. So again, what do you see as, I guess, what do you see as the hope there with the ocean, with the water? Well, yeah, the awareness is happening now. Um, I think people are starting to see what it's done to the reef. Mm -hmm. You know, the reef used to be, it's bleached now. A lot of the wildlife has died off. Right. In, In Mexico, that's what's happened where we were. A lot of the corals have died from the overexposure, uh, from the UV rays. So that's, I think it's going to have to get pretty bad before people really take notice. Right. And then in the 11th hour, I'm hoping they will, (laughs) you know. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm thinking right now is when I think of your work and your paintings and the way, like you're saying, you're kind of 
inventing flowers, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like in your mind, but then you're, you're bringing it to life through your paintings. Like, I feel like maybe that's a power play for us, like just using our, our power of our imagination and envisioning, mm-hmm. envisioning a world where the flowers kind of rise up and create new, you know, new ways of being that kind right. of take back the earth. Like, yeah. I do think that our, our, our vision mm-hmm. is so important, like how we see the world and that's how right. we see ourselves in it. And, right. you know, that that helps us to know how to care for it and to not be so overly negative, you know, and to not get, you know, too depressed about it. Right. And to just keep standing up and waking up every day and doing something Something, passionately that forwards and educating, you know, and and educating, just trying to politically get people to accept that it is real climate change, you know, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's affecting even the beach where we were in Tulum had um, an infestation of seaweed. I don't know if I told you about that. Mm -hmm. A certain kind of sargassum. And it washed up onto the beach, and we would rake it up, and more would come. And guys would be out there raking it up all day, and it would just keep coming. And it would pile up to about three feet high. And it was just... And then when it starts to rot, it gives off a sulfuric gas. Mm-hmm. So, of course, people don't want to be by the beach, right, you know, right. so that was affecting us a lot. Now it's subsided mm-hmm. and it's only certain times of the year, but they say that it's probably caused by the temperature. Oh, yeah. And also, this is a weird thing, but the in the Sahara, the wind current blows the dust into the Atlantic and that actually acts like a fertilizer. Oh, and it's causing this to grow and then also in the amazon where they're doing a lot of mining Mm -hmm. that uh is going into the rivers and the effluent is going into the ocean and that acts as a fertilizer so it's increasing the seaweed so now we've got too much fascinating yeah too much and you would think that they never imagined yeah you would think that there would be some animal or something that would kind of yeah take it away i know well they they say that the turtles like like it but you know at some point it's too much because i don't think they can really swim if it's really matted it's like too yeah too much Yeah. yeah and also you can't use it as fertilizer because it can't it has heavy metals it has mercury, which is not good if you would have put it on your garden. Right. So right. they're trying to figure out. There's one man who's making bricks out of it, and he's building homes. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Nice. So as long as he can seal off mm-hmm. the heavy metals. Is he in Mexico? Yeah, he's in, in near Tulum. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. He grinds it up, makes it into a powder, and they make that into a paste, and then put it in a form and build bricks do you have any idea how he discovered that is that no i just um wow i don't know he just was experimenting with it and he was trying to think of a way to that's really hopeful earn a living i (laughs) I guess doing it yeah really cool yeah it's creative (laughs) nice yeah Yeah. so So, cynthia i'm going to ask you this question when i ask you to close your eyes i ask people to close their eyes when i when i ask it because it's an inner question okay what is something that you know to be true Mm. Well, right now, I think it's, you can create a lot of your own reality by your thoughts. So I really try not to focus on 
the negative. Um, I think we, we have a lot more control over our reality uh, than we are aware of. And that's something I've been thinking about a lot lately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. And I appreciate mm-hmm. you saying that out loud. It sounds simple, but it's kind of it's key. Deep. It's but simple, yeah. but it's deep. Yeah. And so that's good wisdom. You know, so yeah. stop complaining <laughs> and whining. <laughs> Yeah, right. Like, I mean, I think the awareness is important, but then like, what, what are we each going to do about it? Yeah. And let's be grateful for what we do have, you know, focus on that. I love that. And Cynthia, how can listeners connect with you? Um, I have a website. It's um, cjamesfineart.com. I'm also on Instagram at Cynthia. C-I-N-Z-I-A, underline, James, J-A-M-E-S. And, you know, I've been posting frequently on Instagram. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, mainly those two way, ways of getting in touch. If you go to the website, go to contact, and there you'll find the, the phone number and uh, contact. And I'm very happy to take people on studio tours mm-hmm. They can come and visit me and look at the art and see if maybe they want to purchase it like you did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, your art is very amazing and Thank it's you. very beautiful. And um, yeah, so I encourage people to at the very least go over to Cynthia's website and, and look at her art that way. But then again, she's in Santa Barbara. So if you're anywhere in Southern California, that would be a treat for you listeners. Um, Cynthia, thank you so much for your amazing work in the world. And this has been a true treat for me. Thank and you. um, your, your garden is beautiful even though we're kind of in an off season I just want to close with telling people mm-hmm. that I'm seeing orchids and butterfly weed and hibiscus and um, yeah it's I've seen some butterflies as I walk oh, in good. and your yeah, beautiful so- Bengal cat which I'm going to try to get a picture <laughs> yeah. of yeah, he's but out you here. have quite a beautiful little ecosystem here and thank you thank for you doing, for coming and, I, and including me in your podcast and uh, yeah I'm just so glad that you know about Lotus Land and you know, we're both inspired by that. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. And to you listeners, just remember that nature is the universal source that nourishes every living being on the planet. So go out, be in nature, tend a garden, do whatever it is you're called to do, but join with nature and you will thrive. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. Share your nature inspirations and hashtag your healing garden. For more information about my work in the world, visit dinasalisi.com.